Part two and final of session 93. Let's finish talking about card number three of the Tarot, the catalyst of mind. Let's begin. In the last episode, we started digging into this third card of the Tarot, the archetypical mind, meaning the catalyst of the archetypical mind, rather. And we are going to finish today because there are not that many questions left. But before that, I want to give a little bit of a synthesis um, of what we've talked about so far in terms of catalyst. And I want to begin with Question 11, I believe it was, where Ra talked about what catalyst is. And they said that all that assaults your senses is catalyst. Uh, this is important because we are looking at the arrangement, the structure of manifestation, which is how awareness perceives reality from the third density experience. Um, so, what we have is that awareness perceives something. We are all aware of things. And so things are catalysts for us to fashion experience. And so everything that we're looking at is catalyst and we are uh, perceiving it through the specific lens of our minds. And I'm not being too deep here. I'm talking about playing experience of looking at a tree, at a wall, at a person. We're looking at catalysts. All of that is um, available catalyst that we fashion into a sort of reality, a world, um, a, a worldview, right? And so that is what catalyst is. And catalyst yields experience. Um, this experience, of course, can be used for evolution or just for maintaining uh, the view that we have on reality. Evolution is always something that is changing and is, I wouldn't call it improvement in the sense that we as a society, modern society, have attributed to it. Uh, but yes, as a child plays and learns more about the world and um, learns about the immensity of experience, then it evolves, right? So is it getting better at something? Not really, other than just appreciation. I'm going to even say that evolution is simply the appreciation, a growing appreciation for reality. And that appreciation, of course, is love. Is, is the only thing that gets us closer and closer to, uh, to unity. All right, with that introduction, I think it's fair to begin with the first question that I have here. And again, just keep that in mind. Catalyst is everything. Everything that is assaulting our senses out of which we uh, fashion experience. Question 13 is the first one I have today. And Don says, would I be correct in saying that the archetype for the catalyst of the mind is the Logos, the Logos's model for its most efficient plan for the activity or use or action of the catalyst of the mind. And Ra simply says, yes. Uh, 
So I'm just gonna say that I think Don is uh, suggesting here that catalyst of the mind, that archetype, is the Logos' model for its most efficient um, plan for playing, let's say, you know, for activity. He uses the word activity, use, or action of the catalyst of the mind. So, yeah, I would say is, I think that's the question. Um, you know, if the archetype, the catalyst of the mind, the structure of catalyst as we perceive it, is the best, the things that he repeats catalyst at the end, and it seems a bit confusing, but um, there's a reason why, if you're on YouTube, you can check the slide again. You can see that uh, it's catalyst of the mind in caps, and then catalyst of the mind, catalyst and mind are lower, uh, lower case. So that's the difference, it's like when we talk about Love with capital L, it's a different love than lower L in the law of one model, if you've ever noticed. Uh, it's very important. One is the principle, the creative principle, capital, and then lowercase is love, the feeling that we have. Which is a dualistic um, view of unity. That's how we as entities see the creation with love, lowercase. So, okay, Catalyst of the Mind is the most efficient plan for, um, for action. Question 14, Don says, then the adept in becoming familiar with the Logos' archetype in each case would then be able to most efficiently use the Logos' plan for evolution. Is this correct? Ra says, in the archetypical mind, one has the resource of not specifically a plan for evolution, but rather a blueprint or architecture of the nature of evolution. This may seem to be a small distinction, but it has significance in perceiving more clearly the use of this resource of the deep mind. Uh, this is uh, something that they have repeated over and over again in several occasions and, well, they do it again. Because it's important to not see the archetypical mind as my plan for evolution. You see, we're studying, as I have been also repeating, we're studying, studying the architecture, the structure of the mind. Um, they call it a blueprint, which is... Um, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's another way of describing the, the diagram in which experience, and I'm talking about major experience, not even the archetype experience, but just uh, how awareness experiences itself, how it lives itself, how it knows itself. And of course, we're talking about third density um, experience, and that is the way in which we humans look at awareness, looks through the human mind at itself. So, again, it's a small distinction, but the thing is that evolution is, the nature of evolution, um, although the archetypical mind, like I said, is the way in which we're going to evolve, uh, it is not the... the 
the journey itself let's put it that way uh, the journey is done by us we use the archetypical mind for that we are the active principle of the universe right the universe has uh, manifested itself into a sort of world to be lived and a subject so the subject object relationship is what we're experiencing and that is evolution that process of realizing you know unity that's the best way i can describe it in in few words moving on Question 15, Don says, Then Ra presented the images which we know as the Tarot so that the Egyptian adepts of the time could accelerate their personal evolution. Is this correct? And was there any other reason for the presentation of these images by Ra? And Ra says, you are correct. So they're not answering the second question that Don said. And I think Don is going to reformulate it in the next one. I'll we'll see but um yeah i mean here again we talk about personal evolution and i think it's appropriate so we show the archetypical mind so that we can see how life unfolds and why life unfolds the way it does so for example, if we look at, again, known stuff that we have studied so far, if we look at the relationship between the matrix and the potentiator, then we may be uh, more aware and able to see that there are unconscious processes that are bubbling up to the conscious mind, right? Potentiator to matrix. And we can corroborate this in our experience. This is not some you know, obscure, esoteric teaching. It's something that we can check right now. And we can say, hmm, true. My thoughts seem to be coming to me. I'm not seeking for them. If you don't believe this, uh, sit down quiet and look how thoughts come without you asking for them. So do you pick your thoughts or thoughts are coming to you? We're looking at the bubbling of this unconscious mind. And this is why meditation is important, of course, because we are becoming aware of these processes or of these thought patterns. And so this activity is, um, it's, it needs to be, um, it needs to surface out. It needs to, to, to be uh, bathed let's say, showered in the light of awareness. So um, that's what we see, right? If we understand that, then, oh, we see that things are coming to me. Well, what is the purpose? Well, what do I want? You see, you know, here's where you switch polarities or where you pick polarities and you say, what do I want for my life? If things are coming to me, then what do I want? Well, I want peace, I want harmony, love, I want control, I want manipulation, I want, uh, yes, uh, power to wield, or, yeah, power to shine. All these things need to be understood and processed by each of us individually. And so what happens, we start to fashion 
the experience that we want. And so we go to Catalyst, we look at Catalyst and we absorb it and we produce an experience that is concomitant with the selected polarity that we have. And so we move on to uh, changing, evolution, evolving as a being of power in the left or right-hand path. So it's important for, for evolution to know that this is the structure and yet the journey is, is done by this, which we call the experiencer or the one that experiences. I don't even know if that word exists. <laughs> um, so yes, Ra gave this to the Egyptians so they could accelerate their personal evolution. Um, nothing obscure there either. Question 16, Don says, are there any other uses at all of value of these images or tarot cards than the one I just stated, which is evolution? Ra says, to the student, the tarot images offer a resource for learn teaching the processes of evolution. To any other entity, these images are pictures and no more. So, I count myself between the latter group um, in the past. I guess all of us, or maybe the majority of us, <laughs> did. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, when I look at tarot cards, they seem... Actually, because of the nature of my culture in Venezuela, uh, all these magical things, they always looked... Um, uh, like uh, witchcraft yes that's the word they always look like witchcraft to me which is you know people trying to manipulate forces that they don't understand and that was my perspective in the past um, and you know to a degree it certainly stands uh, as as truth for me uh, currently because some people may use things as you know the negative but yeah, they, in general, they just seem to me like just, not even just images, yeah. To me, they they seem something else. Um, but what's important is what it means to us now, and that's the student. The student look at these, looks at these images and sees um, opportunities, you know, for, for learning the ways of evolution. And... Yeah, it's a matter of what what do we want to do with them? Yeah. It's always a choice. So these questions are kind of um, they're not too substantial. Let's look at the other question. Question seventeen, Don says, I was specifically thinking of the fact that Ra in an earlier session, spoke of the Tarot as a system of divination. Could you tell me what you meant by that? Mm, good question now. Ra says, due to the influence of the Chaldees or Chaldees, the system of archetypical images was incorporated by the priests of that period into a system of astrologically based study, learning and divination. This was not a purpose for which Ra developed the Tarot. So I've talked about this already um, a couple of sessions ago when they mentioned something about divination. And 
this is another thing that I, you know, in my ignorance in the past, I used to think of, you know, of course, divination of the future is just some uh, scam that, uh, and again, you know, some people do. <laughs> That's still a thing. Uh, some people still scam uh, with this and that's you know their own thing uh, but other people actually use it you know purposely into divination well that's not the intention that Ra had with the tarot as we can see uh, the tarot is something for studying it's something for learning your own process of mentation of I said mentation, M-E-N-tation, not meditation. Uh, although it can, it should be used also for meditation. You should meditate on these cards and the archetypes themselves rather, um, probably more productive. My opinion, of course. But yeah, the, the, the purpose of divination was not included by Ra. They have mentioned this, they wish to also remove those distortions, as far as I understand. They're not totally against it, it seems. Uh, like they're not against anything, right? But when we read it, we want to get to the essence of what they wanted to give us. And that was a, uh, a body of study for something that it's a lot more productive. And so let me put as an example why I have so much emphasis also to uh, I don't want to use the word discourage, but suggest that divination is not as efficient as studying, of course, your own mind. So having somebody else kind of um, give you details about what's happening in your mind is not as useful. Um, some people find it useful. I'm not here to judge or say, uh, and I don't wish to ruffle any feathers either on people who use the tarot this way for themselves and for others for others but the truth is the truth and you know i have before i get into this um i have this um this desire in all the things that i do of efficiency i like efficiency that's just me. And so when I used to, for example, uh, coach people in nutrition and training, because that was what I did for a vocation in the past, um, I liked efficiency. And so I had to analyze, you know, the profile of the person and see what's your diet? What do you know about training? And I would give them, you know, the most efficient path for what they wanted because they came to me with a desire i want this and i would say this is unrealistic this is realistic um, this is going to be very difficult based on what you have and you know this is easier you know and that's the most efficient way you know the path of least resistance and so i always had this desire you know to give them what was more appropriate for them. And so, does that mean that other approaches are not useful? No, it's just that this is the most efficient approach based on your current condition. And so I, I cannot help but see the same thing here. You know, all these things about 
they, they seem too small in in view of what we have available as a material to study, to understand, to integrate. And so if we're going to talk about the tarot and their uses, we have to mention the uh, huge potential that it has for changing people's life from the inside, not from the outside as a sort of divination process in which you're always looking at the cards to see what's going to happen in my future. Uh, some people use this, and like I said, I have I know people that use it this way. I know people that have used it and they forgot about it and said no more. And so I'm just speaking in general. This is again, like I said, I don't want to ruffle any feathers, uh, but I acknowledge that some people who get um, stirred up by this, then that's their own catalyst. Speaking of catalyst. <laughs> Um, because it happens, you know, we get offended, we get um, disturbed by some people or some truths being spoken about what we hold dear and, well, we either hold on to it and feel even more disturbed or we loosen them up and see what is the next step, right? So again, just wanted to mention that I have nothing against it, just like I had nothing against specific approaches to diet and attempts and so on. I just knew that they weren't appropriate. They would be, you know, they would probably discourage the trainee over time and training as well. Uh, they would probably discourage and I would just have no part of it and say, if you want to do that, I can coach you on that. I, I don't have, I mean, it. I'll be lying to yourself, um, I'll be lying to you by saying that this is something that is going to uh, reach there. And to give an example uh, of something that it's now applicable to what I do is that people will come to me and say, um, you know, I, I respect your work, I love what you do, I love your view of reality, you know, all these stuff, all these things, right? And then they say, you know, uh, I'm reaching out to you a couple of people have reached out to me in in this regard and say, I want to, you know, I, I've been working hard, very hard on manifesting my reality and I'm fine, you know, I'm good with that. So then they describe the method that they want to use, which is a manipulation of the law of attraction to attract those things that they want. And this is all coming, of course, from a sense of lack which is, you know, the ego wanting to complete itself, it feels frustrated and it wants to achieve these things because they have been, um, they have a connotation of spiritual uh, attainment. And I've said, I have nothing to teach you there. You know, there's nothing that you can do there. And I, uh, I just kind of show it to them. You know, this is, this is not a, uh, an impersonal desire, which is where we attract those things that are needed for the expansion of the already present harmony in yourself, that's the law of attraction. The law of attraction doesn't manipulate uh, things. I mean, it, it could, I guess, on the negative path, but I'm not really knowledgeable about that. What I do know is that the law of attraction works. It doesn't work. It's the method of working of the universe 
of expanding the already present harmony of the person. So even if you start with just the most basic thing that you consider, consider harmonious in your life and you focus on that, that is going to cause an expansion of that harmony. And so you will attract, it will seem like you're attracting. Imagine that instead of being in the dark, you see a little glimmer of light, right? And so that is the law of attraction, right? You can look at the periphery, uh, the the diameter of that light that it it encompasses. And once you know you focus your attention there, it's going to expand, right? The um, the light that illuminates your environment is going to expand. You see, we say that we are attracting things, but what we're doing is illumining, right? Illuminating this, what's surrounding us, which has always been there, you see? But now we're focusing our attention there. So substitute light with awareness. You become aware of the things that are harmonious in you and that you want more of, and suddenly it just starts expanding. So there is no such thing as attracting. Attracting is a word that we use in uh, in the space-time continuum that we're used to, you know, linear time and space changing, um, but it's a it's it's a proper way. I'm not saying it's it's wrong. It, it's a it's a way of describing it. And so, but there is no such thing as attraction. It's just that we see that once the darkness starts to dissipate because more light is present. Then we see like, oh, I'm attracting more things. No, you're becoming aware of more things, you see? So you start from there. Um, and that's something that I, obviously, I am very, very keen on working with people, but not on the side of when it's the separate self that wants it, that sense of lack that produces that desire for having things. And the question is, why do you wanna have these things? You know, uh, what's, uh, that's the first question that needs to, to be asked. Why do you want it? What, what's going to happen when you have it, you see? Anyhow, I, I don't know why I deviated so much into this, but um, yeah, I like more efficient things. And so when we talk about evolution and forget about law of attraction now, uh, let's focus on the core of this. I I think I know from my own experience that the most efficient way for evolution is to know yourself. There is no other more efficient way. Uh, this is it. Everything else encompasses this or has at its nucleus this. Know yourself. Know what is wanting to know. And that is the most efficient way. And the more I can talk about this, um, the better it'll be for, um, for anybody who is interested in this path. Okay, so let's move to the next question. Question 18, Don says, the third card also shows the wand. I am assuming it, I'm assuming it is in the right hand. The ball at the top being the round magical shape. Am I in any way correct in guessing that catalyst of the mind suggests 
possible eventual use of the magic depicted by this wand. Ra says, the wand is astrological in its origin and as an image may be released from its structure. The sphere of spiritual power is an indication, indeed, that each opportunity is pregnant with the most extravagant magical possibilities for the far-seeing adept. Okay, so we go back to the symbology, uh, the iconography of the card. And so there used to be a wand that used to be present in the old card. Uh, Ra said, forget about the wand, uh, keep the sphere as it seems to be um, of importance. Well, they didn't say keep the sphere, but they made a, an explanation about the sphere. And I'll get to that. But once again, we see that things were added that were not intended to be there. And they are just of astrological origin. Um, I'm going to blame the Chaldees for this too. <laughs> or the Chaldees. I'm not sure how to pronounce them. English is so strange. Um, so let's get into the sphere. What's important? What's practical here? Catalyst has uh, spiritual power. Why does it have spiritual power? Um, let's go with Ra's description and then I'll talk about the practical, feasible, tangible stuff. They say that each opportunity, okay, remember the catalyst is everything. And so opportunity, any opportunity is catalyst. So each opportunity or catalyst is pregnant with the most extravagant magical possibilities for the far-seeing adept. So we are seeing that every single opportunity, every single event in our lives has this rich um, potential of magical, I love that they use the word extravagant magical possibilities. And I'll give examples of this again. Is it's amazing to me but the last thing that i want to uh, pick out of their words is the far-seeing adept now maybe my english is not as broad as i would like but far-seeing always seemed to me it, like it was something to see into the future um to see into um yeah your own life projected right to me, that always seem, of course, like divination. Speaking of divination, right? But I think I have a more sophisticated view of what far-seeing actually means. See, in the context, which of course is what we're talking about here, in the context of spiritual evolution, far-seeing is to be able to see beyond what's right here, right now to uh, clean the doors of perception, right? That's what we mean by this. To clear out those, um, the illusion, to clear out the illusion so we can see through the illusion into reality, into the core of reality. And when we look at that, then we have a better insight. We are um, enriched by this view. So looking to reality, 
through the lens of unconditioned awareness. So that is to me what far-seeing is. It's to see beyond what is uh, apparent, beyond the apparent. Um, Ra says, um, I, they say to Don sometimes that, you know, the, the student penetrates uh, the, I forgot what they say, uh, the teaching or the deeper portions of the teaching, something like that. Like that's far-seeing to me. It's going beyond what's apparent. So, for those who want to see beyond what's apparent, then uh, take heed of this because this is um, powerful. This really is powerful. All right, so to the tangible stuff. What does this mean? If I, um, I don't know, let's just say a mundane thing, I find my neighbor and, you know, he's. Uh, we have a lot of snow right now where I live and he is cleaning snow. He's shoveling snow or using his machine. And that's catalyst to me. How is that catalyst? Well, I could just see it as there he is, my neighbor. I don't want to have eye contact with him. And I just want to do my stuff and get to the house quick. I don't want to get into conversations. You know, that's a way to look at catalysts and that's fine. Um, but how's that catalyst or that opportunity pregnant with the most extravagant magical possibilities? I can melt myself into looking at the beauty of him shoveling snow and he's a happy guy anyway. So I, I'm blessed to have somebody so happy all the time and genuine genuine happy guy and so I could just you know mesmerize myself with that and just look at the snow and everything just take in everything give it an example of what I would do you see and it's extravagant to me because we give it that you know um, that meaning it doesn't necessarily have to be that way it's just that I see it that way or I choose to see it that way. And you know what? I may wave at him, yell and say something funny or whatever it is. I would, I'll, I'll merge my energy with his because I know him already. And so we kind of create this collapse of uh, distance, uh, this distinction between me and him. There's so much beauty there. You know, that's spiritual to me. To be spiritual is to be, you know, in harmony with anything that is happening. Um, so, yes, um, there is spiritual power in everything. Uh, we don't have to go into some magical, interdimensional, psychedelic view of reality. It has to be this mundane thing. Otherwise, we're negating that. We're saying that, no, you know, this... Uh, this mug is just bleh, it's mundane it's nothing there's nothing special about that it's just ceramic you know ceramic shape in a way for I can so I can use it you know that's the negative path <laughs> mm. has tea in it I love it you see there's more to it there's a texture to it it's, you can go I mean you have to go silly for this you have to really go silly because silliness is what takes you away from 
that strict and very square mentality, you know, to give meaning to everything in a way that is always the same thing. So, again, that's just my take on this, my suggestion. Everything is pregnant. I love that word. It's pregnant with the most extravagant magical possibilities for the far-seeing adept. Go beyond what's apparent. Go beyond what you know and just appreciate everything as one of my students says. He's fascinated with anything. <laughs> it's just little rocks and the sun, sunset and the water, the sounds. I mean, that's the kind of thing that you want to stimulate in yourself. And don't be disingenuine. Go with your own feeling, you know, as to enjoy everything, you know, the hair on somebody, you know, the chaos in somebody's house, and uh, even, you know, the madness of the ego. Enjoy everything, appreciate it, see the love in it. Anyhow, um, I'm done ranting. That's what I see as the sphere of spiritual power in Catalyst because everything is pregnant with this power, the spiritual power. And Catalyst is, you know, it's just, uh, that's what I would say. It can be processed that way. It could also be processed in different ways. I, like I said, I'm just giving my suggestion. Let's continue. Question 19 is kind of a, um, a skip one, but let's just read it anyway. Uh, Don says, would the fact that the clothing of the entity is transparent indicate that the semi-permeability semi of the veil for the mental catalytic process? And so Ra says, we again must pause. There is a 15 second pause in the audio. And Ra continues and says, I am Ra. We continue under somewhat less than optimal conditions. However, due to the nature of this instrument's opening to us, our pathway is quite clear, and we shall continue. Due to pain flares, we must ask that you repeat your last query. So, Carla having issues again, painful stuff in her body, or at least the instrument Carla wasn't there. Huh. Question 20, Don repeats or reformulates and says, I was just wondering if the transparency of the garment on the third card indicates the semi-permeable nature of the veil between conscious and subconscious. And Ra says, this is a thoughtful perception and cannot be said to be incorrect. However, the intended suggestion in general is an echo of our earlier suggestion that the nature of catalyst is that of the unconscious, that is, outward catalyst comes through the veil. Okay, so I think Don's interpretation is fine, but Ra likes to expand a little bit more. And so, yeah, it has to do with the veil. And I'll just put it this way. I already talked about the conscious and unconscious mind, matrix and potentiator. There is a veil between, right? And everything that is bubbling up from the unconscious mind is, um, is being presented to the conscious mind. That is uh, in the form of catalyst or it produces, you know, catalyst as it moves up to the matrix. And so it is suggested to the conscious mind to perceive it in one way or another. That's what it's looking for. Uh, the creator is pushing catalyst for itself to see how it's going to process it. Um, and so 
yeah, catalyst is that of the unconscious and it comes through the veil. There's nothing too complex here. We're just looking at the mechanics, if I can use that word. Some people don't like this word for good reasons because it sounds like it's robotic. It's not, it's um, the mechanics of reality. We can talk about the mechanics of the universe. So the mechanics of uh, the mind works this way. There is the unconscious mind, which is bubbling up uh, certain um, experiences, thought patterns, and ways to see life. Uh, and we, with the conscious mind, kind of perceive it, that the conscious mind perceives it. And then there, of there is, of course, the active principle of um, of awareness, which is the significator in the structure of the archetypical mind, which then chooses. The, the significator is the one that chooses um, willingly and, of course, consciously. So it can have some change in its life and it can transform its life. So, yeah, I don't think there's much more complexity to this. Uh, I think I wanted to mention something else. Now that's it. The unconscious mind produces or bubbles up catalysts and it is perceived as such and that has to come through the veil. We're going to expand a little bit more on this, so pay attention. Ra says, all that you perceive seems to be consciously perceived. This is not the correct supposition. All that you perceive is perceived as catalyst unconsciously by the, shall we say, time that the mind begins its appreciation of catalyst, that catalyst has been filtered through the veil, and in some cases, much is veiled in the most apparently clear perception. So, all that you perceive seems to be consciously perceived. Uh, remember when I said that you think that you are thinking your thoughts? Uh, but in truth, you aren't. Go ahead, put it to the test try to think your thoughts. When you try to think of one, they seem to just come up and you say, well, where did that come from? How did you fashion that thought? Can you see that? You cannot see that. You cannot even begin to realize how that thought was fashioned. I mean, I'm talking right now and words are coming through me, which, you know, I'm not thinking, I am not, formulating before I, I otherwise I would never talk <laughs> I would just be stuck in silence which would probably be better um, but you see we are not aware of all these things that are happening uh, all these processes and so uh, that's why Ross says all that you perceive seems to be consciously perceived you're consciously perceiving them well that's not the correct supposition all that you perceive is perceived as catalyst unconsciously right um, and by the time the mind begins its appreciation of catalyst so when the matrix registers it that catalyst has been filtered through the veil yes from the unconscious and um, in some cases much is still veiled in the most apparently clear perception so Again, uh, our perception is very limited. I don't need to convince you of this. Our perception is limited also in the sense of um, having a, an understanding. This is the reason why Ra 
you may have noticed that Ross says now and then understanding is not of this density. So you cannot understand the whole process. You're here to appreciate things. So I would say that this density, contrary to popular belief, <laughs> this density is not difficult. It's difficult because we're trying too hard. That's the thing. If we try too hard, then it kind of ruins the simplicity of things. You see? It's like when you strain yourself uh, too much when doing an activity unnecessarily because you can only do so much, right? And so you, um, you don't put extra resistance to what is needed. The resistance necessary will be there naturally. And so a simplistic view is better than a complex one. Um, so, yes, much of what we see uh, seems to be uh, veiled, and there's good reasons for that. We don't need to know. To appreciate reality as it is, all we need to do is to say, oh, this catalyst, I choose to see it this way, which is, you know, it's independent on each and one of us, but it all, we all have in common that we want to see it with uh, joy with peace. Nobody wants to see life with grief and sorrow and hatred and jealousy. Nobody wants that. Nobody wakes up and says, oh man, oh boy, I can't wait. I'm going to be so jealous of people now and I'm going to hate more people. I can't hate people enough. <laughs> you know, that's disturbing. Um, so that's what we're looking for. And if we keep that in mind, then that's it, you know, we don't need to see. This is another reason why I also say, um, again, very unpopular belief, but um, I, don't, I don't believe it's, uh, it's too efficient to go into past lives and to um, analyze your childhood and do all these things. Again, I apologize for any ruffled feathers, uh, but I don't feel like those things are efficient. Helpful, yes, of course, they could be. Um, they can cause a lot of uh, healing, yes, they do. But it's not as efficient. And I'm always thinking in the sense that people can get lost in this and actually identify with those things. Uh, and many uh, distortions, unintended distortions can settle in because you're looking at it as a new form of identity, which is a problem. Uh, instead, what I find more efficient is to simply accept reality as it is. I believe in the intelligence, a higher intelligence that is shaping your, your reality with all the catalysts that is necessary for you to be happy. In other words, if you're not happy with the present, there's not enough digging in the past that will make you happy with the present. You know, um, it could alleviate some of the disturbance in the present, sure. It can substitute some of the beliefs that you have which are negative and superimpose some positive ones. All these things are capable um, and possible within these uh, sort of analysis of the past and so on. But I am a firm believer that everything in the present right now is a true projection of your pure and beautiful, distilled, love, uh, imbued life. Um, you can see it right away. 
you see? And it doesn't have to be a mental process. In fact, it shouldn't be a mental process. It should be just an awareness of the perfection of the moment, which is just presence or awareness, consciousness. In any case, um, again, I digress a lot, but that's um, that's what Ra, you know, in a sense, is talking about uh, the mechanics once again of how the unconscious mind bubbles this catalyst. And I'm just adding in, of course, the human desire to um, expand its joy in life, the pursuit of happiness. What a terrible, terrible pursuit! <laughs> You'll never stop uh, chasing for it. Question 21. Don says, I am at a loss to know the significance of the serpents that adorn the head of the entity on this drawing. Are they of Ra? And if so, what do they signify? Ra says, in the positive... No, I read the wrong paragraph there. Ra begins by saying, they are cultural in nature. In the culture to which these images were given, the serpent was the symbol of wisdom. Indeed, the, to the general user of these images, perhaps the most accurate connotation of this portion of the concept complexes might be the realization that the serpent is that which is powerful magically. Okay, so pretty quick. First of all, they are cultural in nature, of course. As Raha said, most of these images, not most, all of the things in these images are from the culture, the Egyptian culture. And so the symbology is representative of their own beliefs or what they gave power to or meaning to. And so what do they, re they represent? Wisdom. And to the general user of these images, uh, perhaps the most um, accurate connotation is um, the serpent represents powerful magically, right? Is that which is powerful magically? Yes. I'll talk about this. Um, let's, um, we, we need to make a, a further distinction be before we talk about why the serpent or why, um, yeah, why the serpent represents powerful uh, magic and what does powerful magic even means, right? What does that mean in my own experience? Let's see what Ross says. They say, in the positive sense, this means that the serpent will appear at the indigo ray site upon the body of the image figures. When a negative connotation is intended, one may find the serpent at the solar plexus center. Um, so we're talking about positive and negative path. Um, in Egyptian culture, we can see that the pharaohs and much of those depictions, they have a serpent coming out of their forehead, which lo and behold is the third eye or the indigo ray. And that represents, of course, wisdom. Uh, the one eye. In fact, um, I forgot the, the god that it is attributed to, but it's also attributed to, wait for it, Ra the sun, uh, the god of the sun. So in Egyptian culture, that was associated with Ra. And um, sometimes I, I know that there was another deity and who knows what else they, they believe. 
But what we do know is that when it's on top of the head, or not on top, at the forehead, um, right, indigo ray sites upon the body of the image figures, then it represents the positive. And I'll uh, ramble on this a bit. And when a negative connotation, then it is at the solar plexus, which is sort of here, close to the, uh, to the navel, right? Here's the thing. I, in looking at the tarot cards, I see that the devil, the matrix of the spirits, the card, card number, what would that be? Uh, 7, 15, 15, is it? I believe it's 15. Um, yeah, well, the matrix of the spirit has, it's called the devil. And it has, you know, this demonic or winged creature. It looks diabolical. <laughs> um, and it has, I, I think Don said that it has an erection, right? So, but what I see actually is a serpent coming out of the navel. Um, I don't know, that's what I see. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a phallus or if it's a serpent, but there's certainly something coming out of it. So I think that's the serpent. And maybe it's the serpent that looks erect and that is representative of the lust or the desire for, for control. So I think it depicts pretty well the negative um, path as it is, you know, once again, power in the solar plexus. So why is it powerful? Because we're looking at um, the two things that are important in life for evolution. So if we're talking about evolution in life, then we are using power. That magical power comes from two things, acceptance or control. So acceptance um, is, to me, synthesized and uh, fully uh, integrated in Indigo Ray. It's that acceptance of unity. See, it's the view of no duality, um, of um, the reconciliation of uh, polarities and paradoxes and everything into one. So there is obviously power there for the positive adept. Whereas the negative one uses control. Control over what? Over those things that are at that point in the solar plexus maximize as separate things, as the individual being separate and things being separate. And so maximizing that control is a sort of power. It is never the full power of the creator, but it is indeed one one big power. And I am keen to believe, and I uh, not belief, but I have a strong, strong feeling that the negatives also work with intelligent energy, with the indigo ray, but um, they they work blindly because, in my interpretation, they do work with obviously intelligent energy or the the basis of reality. They work with consciousness, but they don't hear or listen to the higher self. In fact, they just, well, they do, but they uh, distort everything that the higher self communicates for its own benefit. So let's just say that they use the, the power 
of coming from Indigo Ray for their own benefit. And so it's, um, it's a limited use. And yet they can still use it because guess what? They are the creator. This would be the second to last question, I think. Uh, perhaps not. Question 22, Don says, is there any significance to the serpent? Is there any polarity to the serpent as we experience it in this illusion? Ra says, we assume that you question the serpent as used in these images rather than the second density life form, which is a portion of your experience. Oh, they're funny. There is a significance to the serpent form in a culture which coexists with your own, but which is not your own. That is the serpent as symbol of that which some call the Kundalini and which we have discussed in previous material. So <laughs> I think this is just, um, I think Rice being funny here um, in, in, a, in a funny way. They're being funny in a funny way. How about that? <laughs> uh, in a particular way. So is there a meaning? I'm sure Don meant like, is there uh, any other significance, you know, to the serpent or what does it represent? And so, come on, that's a joke. They're saying, <laughs> we assume that you're asking about the card and not the serpents in like the animals that are out there. It's a symbol. Uh, they're silly. I know they are. Um, there is a significant, then you see, I think they make the joke and then they move on to say, all right, all right. I know that you want to find significance in, you know, the symbology of the serpent. Um, and they refer to now to not the Egyptian uh, view of the serpents, although something tells me that the Indians kind of uh, were influenced by Egyptian uh, esoteric traditions. That's just my very shallow and limited perspective. But they certainly know about the Kundalini, right? And that's uh, that's the type of power that we're talking about. So let's discuss this, Kundalini. Kundalini is the meeting of two energies, the North Pole energy, which is for simplicity, awareness, awareness of being or the awareness of being and then there is prana which is the south pole feeding um, the creation energy movement so there is stillness and movement the meeting of stillness and movement at a particular energy center is what we call uh, the point of the kundalini where is it at and so there is god presence in everything that we perceive whether we perceive it as uh, survival at the lowest or transcendent uh, no identity uh, feeling of being in the movement of this encounter to higher energy centers for longer periods of time during your day is what is called the rising of the kundalini so when we um, look at hindu hindu uh, uh, teachings what we see is you know the, the the evolution process also of the individual so there is obviously magical power there because you're transcending first of all the limited being you know the jivatman 
and then your approaching heart uh, chakra, which is the the perception of everything as yourself, love. That's why it's love, because you perceive everything as you. And so that's the beginning of the spiritual work. And so it moves up. That's my summary of the Kundalini. Again, perception is important because wherever your thoughts are catalysts, which is being brought up to you, then that catalyst is being processed. And if it's being processed uh, or unprocessed, then it's going to leave you in stagnation. If it's processed, you know, for control, then it's going to be in the negative, and it's going to process with an acceptance, and it's going to be in the positive. Whew. Very quick um, crash course on the Kundalini. <laughs> Much to be said, but also couple of more questions to cover. Question 23, Don says, is there any other aspect of this third card that Ra could comment on at this time? Ra says, there may be said to be many aspects which another student might note and ponder in this image. However, it is the nature of teach learning to avoid trespass into the realms of learned teaching for the student. We are quite agreed to comment upon all observations that the student may make. We cannot speak further than this for any student. So before I continue reading, because this is a long answer, uh, Don is asking if, if there is anything else of sig significant uh, in the card. And Ra is in essence going to give a long answer to say, um, you should study, let others study, and with what you learn, maybe others can relate to and learn to. That's basically all they're going to say. But of course, we're going to read everything. And so at the beginning in this paragraph, they said that there are many aspects which another student might note and ponder, which you're not noticing, of course. Um, however, it is the nature of teaching that we shouldn't, in essence, uh, learn for you. Meaning, I'm not going to give you what I learned for you to adopt as learning. That would be a belief system, you see? That's the careful uh, approach of the teacher uh, or the guru, you know? No guru that is respectable, of course, wants you to believe anything. It is such a, um, it's not even a teaching to have you believe anything. I want you to know. And if you can't know, I will find any possible way for you to see whatever you can know. And whatever you can know, that's a key that opens another door in your life. But if I give you a belief and tell you, just believe in this, well, we created a religion. So Ra is saying, in essence, we are not here to create a religion. We want you to learn on your own. And then they said, you know, we will comment on any observation that you make, uh, but we cannot say anything else that you can you, that you don't see. So we're not going to give you anything. Simple as that. That's a good teacher. Then Ross says, we would add that it is expected that each student shall naturally have a unique experience of perception dealing with each image. Therefore, it is not expected that the questionnaire ask comprehensively for all students. It is rather expected and accepted that the questionnaire will ask a moiety of questions which build up a series of concepts concerning each archetype which then offer to each succeeding student the opportunity for more informed, informed study of the archetypical mind. So, uh, again, if you are puzzled by the word moiety, I had to look it up too. 
Uh, it means a portion or parts of, which is, you know, just ask questions that are a part of this whole study. Uh, study. And yeah, you know, everybody's going to see and just like we're doing right now, this is exactly what happened. Don't ask questions, raw answer. We look at what Don asks, we make our own formulations and that is the way in which we learn, you see. Beautiful. Finally, they end up by saying, may we ask one more query at this time? We are pleased to report that this instrument has remembered to request the reserving of some transfer energy to make more comfortable the transition back to the waking state. Therefore, we find that there is sufficient energy for one more query. And so before I go to the last question, uh, let me just summarize this. Very important thing. Buddhism is concerned with dialogue, uh, at least at its core, it's concerned with dialogue. Of course, there is, you know, believe in this and you'll be fine. Um, that's a very um, irresponsible approach to teaching uh, the mysteries of reality. But I am always keen with Q&A. There is a dynamic that is established here and I love questions. This is why I love people who ask questions. It also promotes in me a capacity to answer the same question because all questions are on the same thing and answer them on a different, from a different angle. So formulating questions is very important. One, it is making you come out of the, uh, from the unknown because something you actually know it already. You're just confused. You're not sure. And so you want a sort of validation. That's what's happening. Not mentally, because understanding doesn't happen in the mind. It happens in the heart. It's almost like a revealing of something that you already knew. This is why when people read the raw material, like me, who have never had any metaphysical study, any spiritual study, nothing, and you read it, and somehow it just lighten up something in you and you say, I feel like I'm remembering things. I feel like this is making sense to me, even though I've never heard anything metaphysical, spiritual in my life. Uh, and to those who have, then it just creates like, oh yeah, that's a better way to formulate what I already knew. So very elegant, very eloquent to the way they, they describe all of this. And in the end, it comes down to the same thing. You're just remembering. So you have to ask questions because you need to remember yourself, but nobody can remember for you. Otherwise, we're just putting things in your own mind and putting words in your mouth. And that's not the point. So dialogue, questions, never believe, always know. Question 24, final. And I'm including it because it's very important. Don says, I am assuming that you mean one full question and I'll make that question. I would like to know the significance of the shape of the crooks and sata. And if that's too much of an answer, I will just ask if there is anything we can do to make the instrument more comfortable or improve the contacts. Aha, the ankh. Ra says, there are mathematical ratios within this image, which we may yield informative, which may yield informative insights to one fund of riddles. 
we shall not untangle the riddle. We may indicate that the crux and sata is a part of a concept complexes of the concept complexes of the archetypical mind. The circle indicating the magic of the spirit, the cross indicating the na that nature of manifestation, which may only be valued by the losing. Thus, the crux and sata is intended to be seen as an image of an eternal or the eternal in and through manifestation and beyond manifestation through the sacrifice and transformation of that which is manifest. And so this is the only part in which Ra, maybe a couple more times, uh, but the one that they talk specifically about the meaning of the Ankh, which as you can see if you're on YouTube, I wear on my neck. And I'll give you my meaning to it and the reason why I wear it. So, first of all, they say that there are mathematical ratios for those who are fond of riddles that may yield some informative insights. Um, I'm not fond of riddles myself. Definitely not this one. And they said, we're not going to untangle the riddle. And they, they then they give this description of the circle indicating the magic of the spirit you know this circular portion at the top like the head of it yes then the cross is this um this cross the line that crosses the um, uh, the other line the other portion of it and okay that is uh, the nature of manifestation, which can only be valued by the losing. Well, I'll tell you more about that. And then the cross, uh, thus the crux and sata is intended to be seen as an image of the eternal in and through manifestation and beyond manifestation, through the sacrifice and transformation of that which is manifest. First, I'm gonna give you the reason why I wear it. The reason why I wear it is because it has a very personal uh, significance to me and it's because my son and my wife gave it to me simple as that um, I don't wear things as you can see I don't wear many things this was given to me by a beautiful beautiful friend and that's why I wear it um, I like to wear things that people give to me because beyond any esoteric interdimensional magical thing that things may have i value way more what people give to me because i don't know i just feel like it has an essence in there and so i keep those things that are dear to me it inspires a lot in me that's it <laughs> that's the reason why i wear it i have no idea what else it has um, and i don't care what anybody else might think of it it just has that personal value to me now, because you're here not to hear about my own emotional attachment uh, to things, um, let's talk about how I actually perceive or I, I look at this. I'm very simplistic, as you may know. And to me, this is made out of, uh, I'm going to call it two lines, right? The crooks and sata is made of two lines, one vertical, one horizontal, and then there is the circle at the top, which is not really a circle, but yes, yeah, a circular oval shape type of thing. How do I see it? The vertical line is to me the transcendent unity of everything, the infinity of things. 
which manifest through the sacrifice of infinity or um, infinite. It goes into limitation. That's the cross. The cross indicates that. And funny enough, the cross has two points, right? That's the duality to me. So it manifests infinity, intelligent infinity, uh, the infinite one, God, um, the transcendent one, sacrifices its own infinity to manifest. But in manifestation, it has a circular shape because it will return. And so it depicts to me the whole journey of, let's say, first density to seventh density. You see? So you're seeing that first density comes from the same place that seventh density goes to. And that's why we call it an octave. Or simply evolution or manifestation is I infinite awareness see myself through limitation that's sacrifice and that's made out of duality and whenever I want I can just go back to myself which is right now in meditation the moment of death or at the end of the octave it doesn't matter they all refer to the same thing it's a simple process of going in and out in and out of manifestation right that's why Ra says through the sacrifice no that's not what they said it they said in and through manifestation the crux and sata is intended to be seen as an image of the eternal who is the eternal infinity in and through manifestation and beyond manifestation so the circle is in and through manifestation beyond manifestation to me is that little vertical line that is like the stem of it you know the base of it and the cross signifies the sacrifice of infinity of non-dual um, being through duality polarity that's the only way it can experience itself so that's my interpretation i hope it's helpful and i will read the final paragraph which is beautiful beautiful um goodbye by ra they say the support group functions well the swirling waters experienced by the instrument since our previous working have substantially aided the instrument in its lessening of the distortion of pain. All is well. The alignments are well guarded. We leave you, my friends, in the love and the light of the Infinite One. Go forth, therefore, rejoicing in the power and in the peace of the One Infinite and Glorious Creator, Adonai. Conclusions. Um, again, I I adore the simplicity of things and what this represents in our day-to-day -day lives because you're going to work, you're going to college, you're going to uh, whatever family reunions, you're going to not be in your house all day by yourself. You're going to interact with people. And so that is the biggest catalyst that we have, people. So, what are they reflecting to you or reflecting to you? Your own self. So, your own thoughts is what you're projecting on them whenever you see them. I mentioned something about not needing to understand why you have thoughts and all of this. Practical, practical practice would be, or the only practice that there is, is to be present. To do not believe anything that the mind is saying but actually feel your heart in the moment. You'll, you'll be able to discern between that which is harmful or um, against your heart 
And at the same time, you'll be able to discern those things that are true. And acceptance is automatic in the presence, in the present or the presence that you establish at the present, which is the only time that exists. So when we look at catalysts being presented to us, mostly in the form of human beings, uh, but also in our own ways of judging reality as it is, you know, especially um, society and the things that they're doing. Just pay attention to everything and see how your heart feels about it. You don't want any more hatred or division and conflict and none of that. You don't want any of that. You want more harmony. So just look at your life and see what's going on. You know, which one, which one of these is not true? Because if you're looking at things that have conflict, then you just know, oh, that's not true. That's just it. I don't need to go into, um, you know, regressions and look at my, uh, uh, when I was three years old and no, just look at it and see, okay, this is saying something negative. It's false. It's not real. Let me move on. And don't try to ascribe. That's another piece of advice. Don't try to ascribe a positive meaning when you, when you see something negative. Don't do that. Allow something to come through. If all you have is negativity, sit with that negativity. You will see the light eventually. Don't try to superimpose something positive that you have learned in other courses or workshops or books or anything. Don't do it. Allow being in you to shine that genuine light that comes from you and you're going to say, oh yeah, that's actually more authentic. In any case, we come to the end of this episode and this session. That's all I got. This is the moment where I uh, suggest that you can support me in Patreon, where you can go in the description. Um, you can also check a new Instagram that I just created in English. I have been struggling with this for the past year, trying to uh, create content separate. And now Instagram has its own English version. I used to put bilingual stuff there and it grew to a point that it was just uncomfortable for me. So there you go. Only English Instagram and see it in the description. Instagram, Patreon, go check them out, please. Uh, have a nice day, a good night, whatever you are. And we'll see you in session 94, approaching the end of the raw material. Take care.